Good morning. On this bright, sunny, warm spring day. Oh, oh that was last week, sorry. <laughs> it's good. Well, we're thankful for all the graduates. Are, is everyone here graduating from high school, college? All right, let's give them a hand. Thank you guys for so, so proud of you guys. So thankful for you, and we're praying for the years ahead that God has for you guys. So we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and last week uh, we took a little pause. Dr. Greg Fell was here, and he reminded us of what is of first importance, the resurrection of Jesus, and uh, that is the cornerstone of our faith and our trust in Jesus, and so it was such an encouragement to be reminded of that. And as we go back into the Sermon on the Mount, we always remember that Jesus died on the cross, and he paid for our sins. He made a way for us to be in relationship with God and to experience his forgiveness and his grace. And we also hold on to the power of the resurrection, that new life is available to us today and for, for all of eternity because of what Jesus has done. And so that, that's the framework from which we come to the Sermon on the Mount. As we go through the Sermon on the Mount, we're being reminded that uh, God wants to transform our lives. And so here's a few things that I want to um, re remind you of that we've already talked about, but as we go into uh, a very uh, deep, some deep waters this morning in this particular area, I want you to remember these things. First, Jesus came not to condemn he came to save we all know John 3 16 right for God so loved the world but John 3 17 says for Jesus did not come to condemn the world but to save the world now that's that's good news <laughs> he didn't come to condemn he came to save and so when Jesus begins his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount he says blessing blessed are and so he came with a message of blessing God's intention is not to harm you it's to bless you to fulfill you, to satisfy you, to give you the good life. And what we've been talking about is our culture, our world has a very different message about what satisfies us, what fulfills us. And so everyone's running 100 miles per hour in many different directions, chasing many different things, thinking that those things will somehow satisfy us. But Jesus flips the script and he says, what truly satisfies, what truly fulfills, what truly gives you the good life is Jesus and his presence in your life. And so that job, that house, that car, that relationship, all those things are good but they're not ultimate things only Jesus is the ultimate thing and so he came to bring blessing he came to fulfill you he came to satisfy you the second thing that we need to hold on to as we go through the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus came with a message about the kingdom he said repent for the kingdom of God is at hand it's here it's now and so as we go through this we're not talking about some future time after we die rather Jesus is speaking to the reality of everyday life he's speaking to the reality of a human experience here on earth and as we go through the Sermon on the Mount he talks about very practical real things that we battle with that we struggle with that we deal with and he is saying that the kingdom the rule the reign the will of God the action of God the presence of God is available for us now because Jesus has come. He's brought the kingdom to our earth. And so the other thing that I want us to remember is that um, there's a phrase in the Bible that says, knowledge puffs up but love builds up. Jesus concludes this sermon with a story, with an illustration about two kinds of people. The foolish person builds a house and he builds it on sand. And I, I compare this to being 
puffed up with information, with knowledge. So we can go through this sermon and some of you are even memorizing this sermon with me. And the danger here is that we can have the information, the knowledge in our head, but not receive the power of what Jesus is talking about. And what does Jesus say? That the other person builds their house on the rock. And this is the person who hears the words of Jesus and puts them into practice. (laughs) You see, love builds up. Jesus is after our love. Uh, One of the quotes I've been thinking a lot about over the last couple weeks is uh, something I read from Glenn Stassen. He was a a professor at several different seminaries and, and, and he wrote this about the Sermon on the Mount and it's profound. He said, the Sermon on the Mount is not a legalistic pro- list of legalistic prohibitions. That, that's not what God is after. He says, but it's a grace-based breakthrough of the reign of God. A grace-based breakthrough of the reign of God. And you might say, Ben, I, I'm reading through the Sermon on the Mount, I don't see the word grace. It's everywhere. And when the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, looked at the words of Jesus and he heard the words of Jesus from the disciples who had been there, well, Jesus spoke, his conclusion was that this was ultimately a message of grace and that relationship with God came through grace, through faith. And so that is what Jesus is inviting us into is this breakthrough of God's power, his will, his action in our lives so that the kingdom of God becomes a reality in our lives. It's about transformation. As a Rimrock family, we've said our vision is to, be, is to be a community being transformed by Jesus Christ. And so that's why we're here. We're here in the teachings of Jesus so we can understand the transforming power and work of Jesus in each of our lives. And the key is love. Would you join me in praying? Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word this morning, Lord, as we go into this uh, incredible um, passage that we're going to read this morning I know there's a battle raging there's a battle raging for our hearts for our minds for our lives and Jesus you want nothing more than to bring goodness and to bring blessing to bring salvation to those who are sitting here this morning but Lord we recognize that uh, there's a battle and so we resist the evil one and his intentions to distract us to keep us from hearing and practicing your word we pray this in Jesus name Amen. All right, would you stand with me this morning as we read the word of God? We do this in respect and honor of God's word. And we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. But uh, I know this won't be on the screen, but I want to read some of the verses preceding to help us understand a little bit of the context of what Jesus is talking. So I'm going to start in verse 23. And Jesus is talking about anger in these earlier verses. He says, therefore... If you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and first and go and be reconciled to them and then come offer your gift. So he's saying, if you have a relationship problem and you're coming to church to worship, what's most important to God is that relationship, that relationship of love that you have with that person and reconciliation is the utmost importance then in verse 25 settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court do it while you're still together in the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown in prison truly i tell you you will not get out until you've paid the last penny and now here's our passage for this morning you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery but i tell you 
Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown in hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. You may be seated. So you're thinking, how is Ben going to handle this passage? (laughs) It's good. I love that Jesus speaks to the human reality. He wasn't some distant religious figure. He speaks to the reality of what it means to be human. One of the things I've grown to appreciate over the years is uh, the the 12-step program. And some of you are familiar with that. Many times it's associated with alcohol, and uh, it's, it's pr- an amazing process of, of transformation. But one of the things that I think is amazing that when you wo- go into these groups is the first thing you do is you, in a sense, take off the mask. You recognize the reality of struggle. And so if we were in a 12-step meeting here this morning, I would begin by saying, my name is Ben, and I struggle with anger, and I struggle with lust. And as we do that, as we come to that place together, we remove the the external veil or the mask or whatever we put on to look good before others, and we recognize the reality of human struggle. And I think Jesus is inviting us to that in the Sermon on the Mount. He's he's cutting right through the outward appearance to our hearts. But I can also tell you this morning, even as I say the reality of the struggle is there's also the reality of transformation. And I've experienced that personally, that God doesn't leave us in struggle. He comes to us and he works in us and he changes those things in our lives that maybe bring shame or guilt and he brings about hope and life and freedom and goodness. And so as we come to this topic, we're just, we're just gonna say, All of us struggle in one way or another in these areas. When we talk about anger and lust, there's no one who's exempt. Everyone struggles in some way. And Jesus wants to get to the inner part of who we are. He's not impressed with how we look just on Sunday mornings when we come to church. He he wants you and your love all the time, every moment. He wants your inner being to be in relationship with him. He wants who you really are. And he wants to bring his truth and his goodness and his righteousness into your life. We've looked at the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus begins this sermon by uh, not only talking about blessing, but talking about a contrast. The contrast between the righteousness of the Pharisees, which is external, which is self-justified, which compares itself to others, versus the righteousness of God. And he says, he says, we must, if we come into the kingdom, he says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisee and the teacher of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is concerned not with who we are just on the outside, but who we are on the inside. And so what is this righteousness that is God's righteousness? I believe it's rooted in this idea of love. It's rooted in this idea of love. God is love. In fact, if we go all the way back to uh, um, Easter when we went through this passage looking at why did God create us? 
Why did he make us? What's our purpose? What's the meaning of existence here on this earth? And Jesus tells us very clearly, God created you with a specific purpose, to be salt and light. And he, ex- and he explains that by saying, to do good, to do good, to do good things, to bring goodness to the, those around you, and to bring glory to the Father in heaven. Basically what Jesus is talking about there is where he says in other ways, why we were created is to love God with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind, and to love others, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And this is what the Sermon on the Mount is ultimately about. Why were we created? What is the good life? What is a fulfilled, satisfied life? It's found in Jesus and it's found in doing good and and bringing goodness to everyone around us and bring glory to our Father. So we have to understand that as we go into this topic of lust, we have to understand what God wants to do in us. He wants to bring about love and goodness in us to God and to others. And so as we think about this, um, we are thinking about our posture of love towards others. And that's why I read the context there about anger. The issue isn't that anger in of itself is wrong in of itself there's there's a time to become angry but it's what we do with that anger right and what God is most concerned about is people he's concerned about our love and our relationships with others and so that's where anger becomes a problem when it destroys relationships and we have everyone in this room's lived long enough to look around themselves and see the destruction of anger in relationships how it divides and causes conflicts in marriages and families and workplaces in our, in our, even in our government and our country, right? There's so much anger. And so Jesus is addressing that in the human heart. In the same way, God wants to address this issue of love. And the issue is how do we treat others? How do we think about others? How do we look at others as people that God loves? As people that God loves. And so as we go into this passage, He's talking about adultery, and all of us, many of us can look at this and say, well, maybe I haven't committed adultery. Maybe some have, but the issue here is not to look at yourself and think I'm good or bad based on that that statement, whether you have or not, because he goes deeper than that, deeper than just our external behavior. He says, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Here's the issue, adultery in the heart. That is what God is after. Now, there are men and women in this room, and so uh, this reality of lust exhibit itself in every single one of us, whether we're a man or woman. We have things that we desire, that we lust after. And so this issue applies to all of us. But Jesus is specifically talking to men here (laughs) in a specific way about lust. But the issue here is adultery in the heart, which we can all relate to. And so what, what is he talking about? He's talking about selfish desire versus love. Selfish desire versus love. The reality in James chapter 1, verse 14 through 15, speaks to the, the, the danger of desire that is misguided and apart from God. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So in this passage, 
the, the death is adultery. That's, that, there's nothing good about adultery. It brings about destruction to human relationships. But he's going deeper. He's starting with desire. And all of us have desires. All of us have these things that we need to be aware of. And here's what God wants to transform. It's not that desire in of itself is wrong. It's what we do with it, right? And so he's saying when we're lured and enticed by selfish desire, watch out, be careful. And here's what happens. We begin to treat people or think about people not as people made in the image of God with value and worth, but we begin to objectify them. We begin to think that they're something to be consumed like an object, and that is wrong. Jesus is warning us and he's telling us that that is dangerous here's what happens as we begin to see people in that way what results is abuse and it's destructive and it corrodes it's like a cancer in our own souls because God made people in his image he made people to be loved to be valued to be respected and so he's addressing that heart issue in all of us but in particularly with men Here's what I want you to notice that he's not there. He doesn't say in this situation of a man looking at a woman that it's the woman's fault. Do you catch that? Because many times in our own self-righteousness, and this is the righteousness of the Pharisee, we want to blame others. We want to say it's her fault because of how she dressed or whatever. And he's saying that's not the issue. The problem here is what? The heart. It's the man's heart. And that is ultimately what God is after. We don't address this issue externally. Jesus is addressing this issue internally in our hearts. I think of the very first story of the first man and woman in the Bible, Adam and Eve. They had a desire for a fruit on a tree. (laughs) And God said, you can enjoy all the fruits in the garden. Every single one of them is for you, except this one tree, this one fruit. But it says it was beautiful and desirable. And so Eve took that fruit and Adam took that fruit and they ate of it. And then God came to Adam and said, hey, <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And what did he do? He said, it's her fault. <laughs> and we've been doing that ever since. We want to shift the blame. And brothers and sisters, today we have to say no more. We have to look at our own hearts. God wants us to not be pointing the finger at others, but to be looking at ourselves. We're really good at looking at others, but Jesus wants us to look at our own hearts, our own situation, our own desires. And so here's what I think the invitation is in this passage. Not to see others as objects or something to consume, but to see others the way God sees them, as people with value, with worth. And this is so important for us all of us. In fact, later in the New Testament, when it's talking about our relationships as, as followers of Christ, we're invited and we're urged to treat each other and think about each other like we would those we love. And so all of us have family members, moms, dads, brothers, sisters. And so in the church, we think about each other and we treat each other in those ways because those are people that we value, we love. We see them for who they are. And so the invitation is for men to see women as mothers, as sisters, for women to see men as fathers, as brothers. And you see how that changes the equation? (laughs) Because then you see people for who they are. You see them as made in the image of God. You see them with inherent worth and value and not as objects to be used.
So then we come to verse 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. (laughs) So what do we do with this? What do we do with these words, these radical hard words? Well, 2,000 years of Christian history, people thinking about this, hearing the words of Jesus, I don't know of any instance of people actually gouging out their eyes. I don't think that's what Jesus was after. Jesus was a master teacher, a master communicator, and he's getting our attention here in a strong way, in a powerful way. He's saying, this issue of lust is a serious issue. Address it. Address it. Don't ignore it. Don't sweep it under the carpet (laughs) because as human beings, he knows us, when something's uncomfortable, hard to talk about, we tend to put it aside. We tend to hide it. We tend to make it secret. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Deal with this. It's serious. This has to do with the condition of your heart. And that's what God most cares about because that is where the source of life is, is in your heart. And so God wants to look at that. He wants you to look at that. He wants to address it. So how do we interpret this? If we're not literally saying cut out eyes and hands, I think what he's saying is we have to deal with this. We have to, in a sense, confess it. I like what James says. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. So here's the issue. You can't hide this issue anymore because a secret thing, a thing that's hidden in your life, it will consume you and it will destroy you. And so he's saying the way to get free, the way to be healed, the way to be transformed is to bring it out in the open. So if I cut out my eye or take off my hand, everyone's gonna see that. You're gonna see that and you're gonna ask me what's, what's going on, right? <laughs> so it, it, it's exposed, it's in the light. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about confession. And here's what James says, so that you may be healed. That's important. What is Jesus after? He doesn't wanna fill your life with shame and guilt and make you just miserable. He wants to bring about blessing. (laughs) He wants to make you fulfilled and satisfied. But he knows the way to our hearts is we have to deal with things. We have to bring it out into the open. And then he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power. God is working in this. Think back with me in the Sermon on the Mount. What does Jesus say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Remember what Bill invited to us to recognize our desperate need. We have to recognize our desperate need for God. Blessed are those who mourn. When we look at this issue of lust, do we grieve? Do you grieve over the sinful tendencies of your desires? Blessed are the meek. Do we understand our own limitations, that we don't have the power to control this on our own, that we must come to God and receive his power? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do we desire and seek God's way, his righteousness? Are we willing to bring him our desires and have them transformed so that we desire what is good and right? And so I think this is the invitation in this passage where Jesus uses strong, hard language, but he he wants what's best for us. He wants us to experience his goodness and so that we can bring goodness to others. So if Jesus is the source of blessing, if he is the one that will satisfy us, then we have to find love in him. We have to find our love in him and not in lesser things. 
Because many times we deal with these things like anger and lust and we, we try to work them out in ways that are ultimately destructive. But if Jesus alone is enough, if he is enough to satisfy us, what does he say? That we will be comforted if we realize our need, if we realize our grief of our sin, that we will inherit the earth, that good things will come into our lives, into our hearts, and that we will be filled. God cares about your desires. He cares about all of those things in us. So some of you here, sitting here, have struggled with lust, and you've looked and tried to handle it in different ways. Some have turned to pornography. It's everywhere. It's affecting so much of our culture. But the reality is it doesn't address this issue. In fact, it makes it much, much worse. Even some of you who are single think, maybe if I just get married, then it will fix it. But the reality is marriage is a wonderful thing, but it doesn't fix our hearts. Some have tried experimentation in different things or experiences with sexual things. But you know what? None of these things will ultimately satisfy us. The deepest need of our hearts is found only in Jesus, in him alone. And that is the invitation. I love what the psalmist says. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there's nothing that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is my strength. He is my portion forever. And that becomes our prayer. And so what do we do with sexual desire? You know what, God made us in his image and he made us sexual beings and so there's nothing to be ashamed of about that. It's a good thing just like we need bread and water. God knows our needs and he will provide for us and we will find that he is enough. In this area, the sexual area, just like every area of our lives, if we think about it, was created to bring goodness, to bring blessing to others and in our own lives and to bring glory to our Father. And so what Jesus wants to do is he wants to take this area in our lives and transform it into something that brings blessing and goodness to others and brings glory to our Father. And this is possible in Christ. Here's what I wanna conclude with as the worship team comes up. I had an experience uh, with my father-in-law that I'll, I'll never forget. Um, I was dating my beautiful wife, Jill, and uh, we, um, realized that uh, God had called us to spend our lives together and I, I desired to marry her and I needed to ask her dad for his, his blessing. And so I called him up and I, I told him about my desire to spend the rest of my life with his daughter in marriage. And I'll never forget what he said to me in that conversation. Um, and, and by the way, he's a farmer, he's not a theologian, but th these are the most profound uh, words theologically about God and about life uh, that could ever be uttered. He, he, he asked me, he said, Ben, do you love Jesus? And I thought, well, I'm, I'm, I'm asking about your daughter. Why are you asking me about, about Jesus? But he asked me several times, do you love Jesus? And he said, I know that if you love Jesus with all your heart, then you will be able to love my daughter with all your heart. Those are the most profound words. And that's what Jesus is inviting us here. He's inviting us to the way of love. And when we come to his love, he enables us to love others.